0: Welcome, everyone, to the Theology Central podcast, where we attempt to make theology central to everything we talk about. We try to make theology central to every area of life, and that's what we attempt to do. And hopefully, we are successful in all of our attempts, but only you can determine if that is the case. But welcome, everyone. It is Saturday. It's now Saturday afternoon. December the 11th, 2021, it is currently 12:30 p.m. Central Time, and if you are not familiar, I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And when I say the middle of nowhere, Texas, I mean exactly that. The middle of nowhere, Texas. If you if you if you want to look it up, Ovallo, Texas. Don't bother looking on a map. <laughs> don't bother looking at it. And if you look on uh, Google Earth, you won't see much here but this. That's where I'm coming to you live from, the middle of nowhere, Texas. And considering the things I talk about, it's probably good that I do come to you from the middle of nowhere, Texas, because that means no one can find me. Right? Okay, so well, maybe, maybe they could, maybe not. I don't know. But welcome, everyone. We have a lot to talk about, as always. I say that every time. We have a lot to talk about but we do. But before we get to the actual topic at hand, which some of you will be very interested in hearing and some of you are already, I know what some of you are doing. Some of you are like, I'm gonna listen for a couple of minutes and then and then I'm gonna send that email. I'm gonna tell him how wrong he is. Just take a deep breath, calm down. I would ask you to listen to everything I have to say because there's nothing more frustrating than getting an email or a YouTube comment and I'm like, did you listen to what I said five minutes after what you're talking about? Did you listen to what I said 15 minutes in? And it, it, it's really frustrating because you want to respond to someone, but you're like, you didn't even bother to listen to everything I have to say. So should I take the time to respond? I always try to respond, but it can be very frustrating to be honest. So please listen to everything I have to say. Put on your thinking caps. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Here we go. I'm going to once again state my, you can call it a theory, you can call it a hypothesis. I'm going to once again state my perspective. I know my perspective is in the minority, but I I stand by it. it. It's becoming more less of a theory and a hypothesis. It's becoming more of just my perspective, becoming more and more dogmatic. But let me just state it again. I believe that there is biblical historical Christianity, I believe it's out there. I believe it exists. There are those who believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God. And we could go through the doctrine of the Trinity, historical biblical Christianity as put forth in some of the, the great confessions of faith, some of the great creeds. There is historical biblical Christianity. But I believe that in 2021, it, it, is, it is systematically being written out of existence, and the two greatest threats to historical biblical Christianity come from the left and come from the right. Now, there are lots of Christians out there who will say, absolutely, amen, you're right, that progressive, woke, Christianity, it is. It is riding biblical Christianity out of existence. It is a threat to biblical Christianity. We have to take a stand against it. We need to call it out. Those woke liberals, progressives. It's insane. It's crazy. It must be exposed and it must be condemned. And I and a lot of people and people will say amen to that. But here's where people get upset with me. Yes, I do believe the left woke Christianity is a danger and a threat and it must be exposed and it must be called out. At the same time, though, I believe they're on the right, the right-leaning, okay, super conservative, Republican, pro-Trump, alt-pro-America, make America great again, patriotism, almost a form of Christian nationalism. I believe that the Christianity on the far right is just as much a threat to historical biblical Christianity, and it's just as responsible for trying to write biblical Christianity out of existence. I know you've heard me say this so many times, and I know I just said this yesterday in a podcast, but I always have to start here, because if I, if I offer any criticism to any, to the conservative branch of Christianity, when I say conservative, not conservative theologically, conservative politically, when I offer any criticism of a Christianity that I believe believe has been politically hijacked by Republicans, Fox News, the right, they will immediately get mad and immediately accuse me of being liberal, woke, that I'm somehow over here on the progressive side. I'm like, no, you're missing the point. I believe both sides are not biblical. They are Corruptions of Christianity and they are writing Christianity out of existence. They are trying to replace Christianity. Think of it as two different kings. If you've been studying with us in Isaiah seven and eight, they are two kings coming to infiltrate and replace biblical Christianity. And we have to stand against both. It, it drives me crazy when I listen to some forms of Christianity, just they'll be out there yelling and screaming about oh, the LGBTQ community, the transgenderism, the the critical race theory and 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 by all means they bring up some very good points about all of that. But in many cases, their discussion about those issues, their response to those issues don't sound like they came from the Bible. they seem they sound like they come from Glenn Beck. You know, you just go through all of the conservative Mark Levin. You 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 can just go through through all of the people on the far right, Tucker Carlson, Fox News. They sound like they come from a that their response to these issues are more, they sound more of a political conservative perspective than a biblical, scriptural, godly perspective. And so they they they're over there worried about all of these issues emerging, quote unquote, from the left. And not realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute! Don't you see that you've joined force, forces with that on the right, which is just as dangerous to Christianity? So, what you think you need to do to preserve Christianity or to to somehow be biblical is actually you you've bought into something that is a it's something that is a corrupt form of Christianity. You've bought into a form of Christianity. To fight that which is on the left, but you didn't buy into biblical Christianity. You've given up biblical Christianity to buy into a, to align yourself with something that is actually antithetical to biblical Christianity. And it's hard to get people to see that because all oh, they're like, you don't care about the country. You don't care. You don't care about this and, and, and you don't care about morality and you don't care about godliness. I'm like, no, I care about those issues, but they have to be addressed not politically. They cannot be addressed from a, a corrupted form of Christianity. They have to be addressed scripturally, biblically, and the solutions are biblical ones, not political ones. Right now, I know I've now spent eight minutes reestablishing a position that I've now stated probably nine million times in the last 20 years, but I'm going to continue to state it until people get it because people, I have to do this because people constantly misunderstand. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to be, ask, we're going to be asking a question. Is conservatism biblical? Is the conservative perspective a biblical perspective? Now, I'm not saying... Theologically conservative, but a political conservative, conservative perspective. The conservatism of, of the far right, is that biblical or is it something other? That's what we're going to ask. And the reason we're going to do this is I don't even remember when this was. Um, I I get a lot of emails, so sometimes I forget. I don't know when this was. I know I'm behind. See, whenever someone sends me an email and they send me something to listen to or to review or to examine, I always try to, or, or they ask me to do an episode on a topic. I always try to move that request that material to the top of the stack of stuff that I always have to cover. You, you can't imagine how much stuff I always have in my list and my stack of like, okay, we're gonna cover all of this and I never even get to, I, I don't even probably get to 90% of it. I, I literally could do 24 hours a day, seven days a week of broadcasting and probably not even get done with 50% of the things that I'm trying to do and, and want to accomplish. I know you think that's hyperbole, but it really isn't. There's just, there, there's never, I, I can, there's never enough time to cover all the things that I want to talk about and that we need to talk about. But you make, you determine a lot of what I do. So someone sent me a link to a podcast episode from uh, the Roy's report. That's Julie Roy's. You can look up the Roy's report. They have a podcast. And they, in fact, I think I have it right here. Let me let me just pull up the uh, let me just pull up the Roy's report really quick. So, because then I can give you uh, the exact information, and I can give you the podcast where you can try to subscribe to it if you would like. See, where is it here? Here's the podcast. It is called the Roy's Report Podcast. There you go, the Roy's Report Podcast. That's R O Y S. The Roy's Report podcast. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. I would strongly suggest that you subscribe to their podcast, support them. They cover a lot of things about what's going on in the church. I, I would challenge you to read the Roy, uh, go to uh, the, the Roy's Report. You can just look it up. R O Y S Report. I would challenge you to look at their website on a regular, consistent basis because their 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 whole tagline is reporting the truth, restoring the church. Now. She makes a lot of people mad because she will bring up a lot of issues going on in the church. When she when she produced a lot of reports about John MacArthur and a lot of issues going on with uh, you know Grace Community Church, I mean it, it created a firestorm and she got herself in a, a lot of a lot of people did not like what she was doing. She raises some tough questions. Whether you agree or disagree, the questions though are worth the consideration. But in her latest podcast she asked the question, is conservatism biblical? Uh, this was uh, pub- published December the 7th at 1057 AM. Currently, there are 31 comments under this. I, I really should read the comments, but we won't do that right now. Um, is conservatism biblical? And if you look at the one before it, bullies in the pulpit, that that could be a uh, challenging to listen to. Um and then, well, yeah, there, you could just look at all of them. Just subscribe to the podcast, and if you hear one that you think is very interesting, let me know your thoughts. But we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take this, and we're just going to start listening. I'm going to provide thoughts, analysis, agreement, disagreement, and we're going to just look at this. And again, this is looking at, is, is conservatism biblical? I'll, let me make it very clear. The liberal, woke, left form of Christianity, I don't believe that's biblical either. And a lot of people get mad at me because I said, you seem to always be going after the conservative side. Why are you always bashing the conservative side and not the liberal woke side? Let me explain. The liberal woke side of Christianity that form of Christianity, their issue is not their wokeness. Their issue is not their liberalness. Their issue is theological. In other words, usually on that side, those churches are so theologically corrupt that I don't even care about their wokeness or their liberal, liberal political views. Their churches are completely corrupt theologically. In many cases, they deny the inspiration of scripture. They deny I mean, they there's so many theological problems, so many theological issues. So I can when I deal with the progressive form of Christianity, I tend to look at it as a heretical form of Christianity with a completely flawed theological foundation. And so I don't need to worry about all of their political issues because theologically that won't even put them in the camp of Christianity. When I look over to the conservative, right-leaning churches, now it becomes more complicated because many of those churches have very sound doctrine, very sound theology. They sound great biblically. Like, you look at their doctrinal statement, like, well, how can I disagree with that? You look at them, like, theologically, they sound great. But here's what happened. That's why I speak to that side, because I'm like, okay, biblically, we're on the same page. But you're allowing conservatism, you're allowing politics to slowly but surely hijack and corrupt this church that should be good theologically is being corrupted by adopting a conservative ideological perspective that then they read scripture from that lens. So it begins to corrupt and infiltrate their theology, So, but on this side, I'm like, okay, these are people I would like, these are Christians. They, They hold to the Bible. I agree with them theologically, but you look around, you're like, what is happening over here? On the left, I'm like, I don't even care about your politics. You, 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 you almost deny the, the, the existence of eternal punishment. You almost deny that Jesus is the only way. You deny the inspiration and infallibility of scripture. I mean, like, they're, they're so far gone in so many theological issues that I'm just like, that's not even biblical Christianity. So th- there's so many issues on the left side. It's the right side that you're like, wait a minute. These would be the churches I would possibly go to because they have the same theological background, but I can't go to them because they're now so politically hijacked. That's why I deal with the one on the right because I always see the people on the right screaming about the left, but they cannot see the danger that is happening right in front of them. It's like they're so worried about the monster of the progressive woke liberal that they can't see that there's a monster inside their own building, and it's called a right-leaning conservatism that is taking place of their biblical theology, and they can't even see it. That is why I address it from the other side. But let's go to this report, Roy's report. Their podcast is conservatism biblical. We're gonna, we're not gonna obviously make it through all of it, all of it, because there's a lot. There's like forty five minutes. So clearly, we're just gonna listen to part of this, and I, I'm gonna obviously break in constantly. So you you'll want to go listen to their podcast. So that you get it unedited, uninterrupted, and you can hear the whole thing. But we're going to at least take a part of this apart. And uh, well, we're going to see what we agree with, what we disagree with, and see what we can learn here. And remember, whenever I do these reviews, just so that people know, because we always have new listeners, I don't listen to these in advance. I do that on purpose because I like – so when you send me something, I just – I don't know which direction it's going to go. But what I do is I like to listen to it in real time on a live broadcast with you. The, the, the idea is like you're driving past the church going, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to listen to this podcast. Well, can I listen to it with you? Great. And then we sit down and we talk about it. I like that because if I listen to it first, then I feel like I'm rehearsing all of my responses and it just becomes like a production. I want it to be real and organic. Let's listen to this together and let's talk about it. That's the way it's supposed to work. Here we go.
1: Is conservatism biblical, and what are the dangers of mixing Christianity and politics? Welcome to The Roys Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roys, and today I'm going to address these issues head-on with Coleman Luck, the author of The Curse of Conservatism. He argues that we've equated biblical with conservative, and we've mixed the kingdom of God with the kingdom of man. Though Coleman holds conservative, theological, and political views, he warns against a syncretism that's been seeping into the church. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ said that his kingdom was not of this world, Coleman writes. His followers have been trying to prove him wrong ever since. Coleman- wow, that that is powerful. 2,000
0: years ago, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and his followers have been trying to prove him wrong ever since. That is... Just stop the podcast right there. Everything she's saying is so tr- there's a syncretism where where you take this conservatism, you mix it with the Bible and let me make it very clear, here's what happens. You you at that point, you can't actually see the text anymore because all you can see is the conservatism that you have adopted. The conservatism becomes the lens through which you read scripture. We watch this take place during the pandemic, and I and listen. I'm going to I'm going to tell you. I believe biblical. I believe conservatism is a curse. I believe it's a curse because the church is leaning and looking to align itself with a fleshly political ideology in order to try to quote unquote fight its spiritual fight. It's it's like Ahaz seeking. Uh, alliance with the Assyrians, again, r- making reference to our study in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 8. That, it's, it, that's what it is. So I, I believe that, the, and that's why I've stated it before, I think the best thing that could happen to the church, the absolute best thing that could happen to the church, I know whenever I say this, people are shocked, but I believe this. I believe the best thing that could ever happen to the church is that Republicans Republicans lose every office Congress, Senate, governor, mayor, city council, there's not a Republican to be found. The entire Republican Party is completely destroyed, annihilated, removed from the face of the earth, and the church goes, where do we look to? We have no one to help us, and then you'll stop trusting in chariots and horses, and you'll start looking to the Lord your God instead of looking to all of these other things. I think that's the worst. Thing. I think the fact that the church has aligned itself, sold itself to the political right is in many cases, well, it's a curse. It's a curse. I completely agree. And I, let me just make this very clear. Here's what happens. When you adopt a conservatism and then you're facing a horrible situation like a global pandemic where people are dying, well, guess what? You no longer read the scripture in light of the Bible, you read it in light of that conservatism. So conservatism says, hey, wait a minute. A lot of people on the conservative side, when I say conservatism, obviously there's always different varieties and kind, but there was a large portion of the conservative. movement it's like, you know what? This pandemic is not that serious. We shouldn't have to follow these rules. This is ridiculous. I'm not gonna wear a mask. I'm not gonna social distance. You're not gonna tell me what I can do. I don't have to follow you. I'm gonna stand up against this. This is tyranny. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna rebel. I'm not gonna listen. And then Christians came along and said, well, amen. We agree. And Romans 13 no longer applies. And so they begin. And so we started hearing sermon after sermon, basically reinterpreting Romans chapter 13. And I was like, what in the world is going on? Prior to the pandemic, you're like, no, Romans 13 says this after the pandemic, you're like, nope, it no longer applies. You can disobey in this area. And you're like, wait, time out. What happened? What happened is we were no longer looking to scripture to give us how we should respond. We looked to conservatism. Conservatism says, this is how you respond. And we took that response and then read it in and changed the interpretation of Romans 13. I know I'm going to get 900 emails with people yelling at me, but I'm sorry. It's just ridiculous what people started doing with Romans 13. And, 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 in fact, it became so to me, basically what, what many Christians were saying, we just ripped Romans 13 out of our Bible. Because basically, here's how it works. You only submit when you agree and you don't submit when you disagree. And people say, no, 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 that's not what we're saying. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's exactly what you're saying. Because you had no problem with Romans 13 when everything was going your way, but as soon as things stopped going your way, now you're like, I'm not so sure about Romans 13. Well, tell that to the people that uh, Romans was originally written to because they were they were under some pretty messed up governmental leaders. But, hey, let's let's ignore that. All right. So 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 some good stuff. And we didn't even get very far. Let's continue.
1: Offers this perspective from a unique vantage point. In the 1980s, Coleman was a Hollywood producer and worked on the hit TV series The Equalizer and Gabriel's Fire. But prior to that, he was recruited to work for a small organization in Buena Park, California, called the Christian Freedom Foundation. And in very short order, the leader of that organization began meeting with evangelical and conservative political leaders to map out what eventually became the Moral Majority. And if you know anything about the conservative movement, you know that the Moral Majority was huge in the 1980s. And it was credited for many political victories, including electing President Ronald Reagan. Of course, no one is talking about the moral majority today. We're talking about Donald Trump and perhaps the most politicized pandemic ever. But the danger of mixing politics and Christianity remain the same. And so I'm so excited to speak with Coleman today. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. experience. Plus, the school Plus, offers the school more than sixty. Majors. All
0: right, we have to get we have to get through their uh, promoting of their sponsors, which Justin I understand. University I mean, I don't have sponsors. <laughs> if I had a sponsor, I'd probably tick the sponsor off in about three point two seconds. But you know, also, people do their podcasts to make money, so they get sponsors, car, they, they get uh, my donations. At of right, so we just got to wait Marquard through get through this. One of the things when you don't listen live, here's one of the negative side effects, but. That's because the I still like it to be April this Marport way. I don't like it all edited and, and rehearsed.
1: Because it's like, how can your reaction be real when you've already listened to it? Come. You're like, okay, well, again, react this way. Today is Coleman Luck. He's go. a former Hollywood producer who worked on the TV hit series The Equalizer and Gabriel's Fire. He's also the author of Day of the Wolf and the Curse of Conservatism, and he's also the son of the late Dr. G. Coleman Luck, who was a professor at the Moody Bible Institute. Interestingly, before moving to California in the 70s, my guest today also worked for the Moody Radio Network and even did a stint at Christianity Today for a while as an advertising manager. So he has a wide range of experiences, a very interesting perspective. So Coleman, welcome and thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: And I know, Coleman, there are two things that you're never supposed to discuss. Uh, Those are politics and religion. And (laughs) we're going to be diving headlong into both of those today. So I thank you for being willing to do that. I know that we're going to be navigating some waters that are filled with landmines, but thank you.
2: My pleasure, I guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see, right? Yes. Yes. You know, I mentioned that you worked for this organization in my intro that eventually became what was the Moral Majority. I would like to know a little bit about that whole experience and how that's informed your view of politics and the church and religion and and how they interact.
2: I was recruited to join the organization uh, Christian Freedom Foundation by um, president of the organization, a man named H. Edward Rowe. I was brought on board to be involved in marketing and advertising. I was the marketing director. I was in my late 20s. I didn't know much about this organization. It had existed for probably several decades, maybe 30 or 40 years, actually, before I got involved. In the past, it had been the whole focus of this particular organization, as I understand it, was that they were arguing for a return to the gold standard. So that was the Christian Freedom Mm -hmm. Foundation, freedom, I guess, economically. Well, a new president came in, Mr. Rowe, and he had the idea that he was going to move this organization in a new direction. So uh, I was intrigued. I would be able to work, we'd start a new magazine. We would be doing things that were speaking to the issues of our day. And that was what was so important from a Christian perspective. That was what I was most interested in doing. So moved my family. We were had been living on the East Coast where Christianity Today was, we moved across the United States to Southern California. For a few months, everything went along fine. Uh, I brought on board a friend of mine, a colleague at CT. He was a journalist, Barry Doyle, to help us with the magazine and uh, be a journalist. Roe also brought on board several other young men to be leading various divisions of this new organization. So it started, you know, and we were working, worked away for three months, four months, and all of a sudden things got a little strange. Roe began to go off for meetings, and we didn't know exactly what he was doing, but uh, he was going off for meetings with other Christian leaders. We didn't really know who it was. Uh, Later we found out a couple of names, but we never found out everybody. I think Bill Bright was involved in it, and so was a congressman named John Conlon at that time from Arizona. He would go off to these meetings, but he wouldn't tell us anything about what he was doing, and he would be gone for several days. He did begin to talk about promoting John Conlon, and uh, he wanted to do an article in the new magazine about uh, Representative Conlon. This didn't feel good to me. I just felt like this is not the place that we should be promoting uh, political party person. Okay, so this is very important because the
0: moral majority was a, is a big part of modern day church history and showing kind of the, what I will say, the political hijacking of the church. The, it, the political hijacking of the church, I think, reach, reaches a major pinnacle moment with the whole Donald Trump situation. I think it reaches, like... I, I can't say that it's the the end all of everything, but it, it reaches a very high point right there. But it really started way back in the 80s with the moral majority and all of that. And in the 80s, not only had the moral majority, it was just it was all over Christianity. I, I, as someone who comes into Christianity in the in the 80s, I, I was a young Christian trying to figure it all out. But it was just constantly like, OK, you know, I can't say it was political but it was definitely this idea. I, I I can't say if I necessarily drew the co- correlation with politics, but I could definitely see that there was a an idea within Christianity that this culture needed to be made Christian and it needed to be made Christian, not necessarily through preaching, but by passing this law, doing this, boycotting this, banning this. And you saw a little bit of that. I didn't quite all understand it at that point in time. It still didn't make a lot of sense because still when you would listen to much of Christianity, Christian radio and everything, that wasn't very political. It was still Bible teaching, music, Bible teaching. They would have programs talking about what was going on in the culture. There was plenty of that, especially in the 1990s. But again, even that still felt like, yeah, the world is messed up and they need Christ. It still felt like that the Bible and theology was still the major focus. Now, clearly the moral majority was already out there and they were already aligning themselves with, now we're going to promote politicians. It it was starting to go that direction. I'm just saying from my own personal experience, I didn't quite see it yet. I didn't quite catch on. And even through the 90s, there were, I mean, there were lots of political issues going on in the culture. You had Bill Clinton. You had everything. You had the rise of Rush Limbaugh. You had a lot of things going on in the culture. But I still felt the church, for the most part, was let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on evangelism. Let's focus on discipleship. Let's focus on preaching and teaching and 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 that that was the focus i still felt that was the focus now there there were th- issues going on within the church the church is adopting you know pragmatism and host, you know church growth movement and 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 there was a lot of things going on within the church that were problematic but i still didn't see the hijacking of the politics yet the the, the i think the rise of Conservatism was really happening in the culture at that time, and you can look at the phenomenon that Rush Limbaugh was being in the 1990s. And then I did start realizing; it it did take a little bit of time, but I did start realizing in the 1990s that more and more Christian men that I that I went to church with were talking a lot about Rush Limbaugh, and a lot of times when they did speak about certain issues. They sounded more like Rush Limbaugh than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There, there was just no question about it. Now, even in the 80s, there was still a lot of a kind of a, a pro-American political kind of I- ideology, but I, I still want you to just, at least from my perspective, again, I was young, I just still felt that Jesus and God was still the, fo- you know, Jesus, God, the Bible, Christianity, theology was still, at least I felt, was, was, had the preeminence. The other may have been there, and there were certain situations where I've talked about where I had issues with what the church was doing, but I I still felt that the Bible was still the main thing. Even when there were these little situations that would take place, it seemed that it would immediately revert right back to the Bible, evangelism, and that type of thing, all right? So he was watching this transition happening in his time. I don't know if he gave us the year there, but... um, he, this was, I think, in the 80s going into the 90s. So he was watching this transition as I was living through it myself. But my perspective was, I didn't really start catching on to some of this till the in the 90s. And I think it was the rise of Rush Limbaugh. And let me make it very clear. I listened to countless hours of Rush Limbaugh because it was very entertaining and very interesting in what he was doing on radio. I just knew that I didn't ever see Rush Limbaugh as giving me the answers. I thought Rush Limbaugh addressed a lot of issues But the answers were scriptural, they're biblical. They didn't come from Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was not the one I was supposed to get answers from. It was supposed to be the word of God. So I wasn't going to think about anything from the perspective of Rush Limbaugh. I was going to try to think about it from a biblical perspective. But I started realizing that more Christian men, when they would talk about certain issues, I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not, that doesn't sound Christian. That sounds like literally what I heard yesterday Rush Limbaugh say. Why are we mimicking Rush Limbaugh and not, I don't know, following
2: Christ? So, all right, so let's, let's see where this goes. It was right before Christmas of that year, and I'd only been there for about six months. All of us on that staff had only been there just a short period of time. He brought each one of us in, and he fired each one of us. There was no severance. There was no explanation about what was going on. Two of us had moved across the entire United States to be in in this organization. Didn't give us any help. The, the, The attitude was absolutely brutal. He basically said, well, you know, you're living in Southern California now, so enjoy. That was it. I was in my late 20s. I had a wife and three children. We're stuck in Southern California, and I didn't know anybody here. My friend Barry Doyle, he's from Canada. He didn't know anybody either, so he had to move his family back to Canada at his expense. I had to move my family back to, we went back to the Wheaton area at our expense. This was a new way of doing business, because in all the situations i had been in the past, at least there'd been some compassion within the evangelical world. There was absolutely no compassion for Mr. Rowe. It took years mm-hmm. later for me to determine what had really gone on, and I discovered years later that What he had done was that he basically cleaned out the Christian Freedom Foundation and that legal entity that had been created became uh, the basis for the moral majority. And he was getting involved with other people of like mind. But what it communicated to me was a tremendous, brutal kind of syncretism where Christian faith, the Christian faith, how you deal with your brother and sister in Christ did not matter. All that mattered was our intentioned goal, and that was we're going to set up a Christian party. We're going to do something totally new, and it was political. Hmm. And that was all the way back in 1974. Okay, that was 1974. Wow. Okay, so that was way,
0: way before I, I enter into the world of Christianity. That was way before I entered into the world of Christianity. So uh, that, okay, so you see, and and I know you can say, well, that's just a personal story, and he maybe maybe he's just upset that he was fired. I understand that. But I like the way he described it. It demonstrated that something was changing, that at least within that organization, it was more about the political goals than it was about even basic biblical concepts like how you treat other people, how you view other people. It it stopped being about like... How do we view people from a biblical perspective? And now it was more about the political goal than it was a spiritual goal. The spiritual goal is to advance as christians to encourage to exhort to help each other along in our christian walk our goal is to glorify god our goal is to help our brothers and sisters grow as christians it's not to win a political debate set up a political party or to try to reclaim america and make it a christian nation by passing laws and for that's not what biblical christianity is about so there there becomes a change in focus now i'm not saying listen make it very clear and i don't i hope he's not saying this either that just because someone becomes, con- how, how can we say this? Very focused politically, very concerned about a, say, a conservative worldview versus a liberal worldview. I'm not saying every person who does that immediately starts treating people in an unbiblical way. I, I, I think that's unfair to say. And I hope, I don't think he's implying that, but I am saying it's It's the beginning once you start adapting and adopting, I should say, adopting kind of a more political, ideological mindset, what will suffer is a biblical perspective. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That is true. But let's see. I want us to get to something far more obviously significant than this. Now, this was significant in his life, but I'm saying more significant to the discussion of is conservative is conservatism biblical? Here we go.
1: When you say this became the moral majority, uh, when I think of the moral majority, I think of Jerry Falwell Sr. I think of Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, how did, did Roe connect with Falwell, or how did that transpire?
2: I believe that he did, although I don't know the details of it. Obviously, he didn't share anything with me. I just discovered that the legal entity had been transferred over to them. Now, the, the nature of how that was done, I couldn't answer. But uh, the fact that it was done was apparent.
1: So I think what's so interesting in our current political landscape, I mean, we've had Christians involved in politics for a very long time and, and forever Christians had fallen in different places on the political spectrum. So there's always been differences of opinion. But what I'm seeing is that within conservatism, so among conservative Christians, There seems to be a great deal of polarization, and and I saw this kind of come to a head. And it's not over the issues; like it's not like we're disagreeing on abortion, for example, or disagreeing on you know what's the best economic fiscal policy. Those things we seem to agree on. It seems to be the way of engagement, the uh, place that politics should have. And so I saw this uh, just recently, and I'm sure you've been following this as well. But at World Magazine. Which World and I have had a a great relationship for a very long time. In fact, Marvin Olasky, who was editor-in-chief, I guess he technically still is for uh, a few more months, but he has resigned. He was the one that stuck by me when I was reporting on James MacDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel, and very grateful to him for that. But he's leaving. A number of editors are leaving. And it seems like a lot of it has to do with this World opinion page. For example, Sophia Lee, who's one of the editors who resigned, she wrote in her resignation letter, today my biblical convictions remain strong, but my understanding and comprehension of the world we live in has become less black and white. It is with that acknowledgement of my still growing process and with overflowing gratitude that I announced my resignation from world. It wasn't an easy decision, but I feel uncomfortable about world opinions, which has declared itself unquestionably conservative. Even as a theologically orthodox Christian, I've never felt entirely comfortable in the politically conservative evangelical world and its tendency to mark certain political and cultural instincts as biblical. So what do you make of that? Are we going a little bit too far when we begin to say, this is how all Christians need to believe politically or begin marrying conservative theology with conservative politics?
2: Well, I think the key word is syncretism, and that's what has gone on for a long time. People don't understand what syncretism is. I like to define it this way. Syncretism is attempting to mesh or marry two really irreconcilable philosophies or opinions or approaches. It's sort of like saying, you know, I wanna make something out of the combination of fire and water. You know, we're gonna have something that's new. This approach that, as I've observed it now for decades, beginning in 1974, and strangely enough, when I was in Hollywood, I saw it there too, back in 1988. In a strange way, you know, this syncretism combined that with the desperate desire of so many Christians to follow wolves. That's what the real heart of so much of this is: wolves at every sort of level. And you know, I think when you put those two things together. You are dealing with a terrible situation. I view it right now in this country for the nation and for the church as just a time of unbelievable tragedy, and the darkness is increasing.
1: Well, and when you bring up wolves and compromises Christians have made, obviously uh, Donald Trump has been perhaps the most controversial figure, uh, not just in American culture, but I would say within the church, because here is a man who was married three times, had uh, admitted to doing some things. I mean, I remember when the Inside Edition tapes came out, and he talked about grabbing women and his license to do that, how he liked to walk through the Miss America pageant, because he was the owner of it, you know, and walk through their dressing rooms when they were not dressed. And, and and I heard that, and immediately I was appalled. But yet the argument has been, we're not electing a pastor, we're electing a president, it's about the policies. It's about all these things that began to feel very uncomfortable for me because, you know, and I've always felt like we need to be active in our culture, in society. I mean, that's part of the working out of our, our faith, but we're doing it because it's the working out of our faith, right? So to me, to compromise the things that I hold so dear, that was difficult for me. In fact, it, it was a bridge too far for me, but I know for a lot of Christians— It wasn't. And even now we're having these same arguments, these same kind of discussions. How is it that we should be looking at compromises? Because, you know, we do live in a democracy. We do have to compromise on certain. Okay, a couple of things here when it comes to the whole Donald Trump situation.
0: The first thing we have to acknowledge, and at least this is from my perspective, from what I experienced, is a blatant hypocrisy that swept across the evangelical world. Because in the 1990s, all I heard when when everything was coming out about Bill Clinton and all of his you know wrong actions being carried out in the White House, you know, with a, with a woman. We won't go through that entire story, but his let's say his immoral actions were placed front and center. And I kept hearing, even from evangelical Christians, character matters, character matters, character matters. Who we elect president, what matters first and foremost is their character. It's their character above all else. Character matters, morality matters, godliness matters. But then all of a sudden you jump from the 1990s to now, twenty fifteen, and all of a sudden, ah, character it's not about character, it's about policy. character doesn't matter we're not we're not electing a saint, we're not electing a pastor, so now, who cares about their character as long as they have the right policies, we don't care about the character and you're like well what what changed so so that's the first major issue I have with it, all right That's the first major issue. the second major issue I have with the way Christians started thinking, is it's this built-in desire for many conservative Christians to try to impose a Christian almost theocracy upon an unregenerate world. And I don't understand why Christians... To me, this becomes a theological issue. To me, the the character issue is just a hypocritical issue. Like, you can't say character matters when... You don't like the president, but then character doesn't matter when you do like the president. Like, come on, we got to figure out what what's the true stance Christian's going to take there. So that's a hypocritical one, but this becomes a theological one. Whenever I see Christians wanting to impose like, okay, we need to have this and we need to do this and we need to ban this and we need to punish people for this and we need to do this and we need to do, do that. And it's like, oh, so you want to basically a Christian theocracy, but you realize you're placing a Christian theocracy upon unregenerate people, which that's not going to make them Christians. In fact, their unregenerate nature is only going to rebel against all of the policies and laws you're trying to impose upon them, making them more bitter and more rebellious. Maybe the Christian approach shouldn't be trying to force Christianity upon someone by law, by bill, by policies, by political maneuvering. Maybe we should just be more worried about preaching the gospel and calling people to faith, calling people to repentance, changing their minds about God and sin, turning towards Jesus Christ. Maybe we should call people to that, right? Calling people to that and not trying to impose a Christian, you know, kingdom upon unregenerate hearts. It doesn't work. Again, just go back to the Old Testament. Israel, they had everything. They had law. They had priests. They had the the presence of God dwelling, the Shekinah glory dwelling in the tabernacle. They had all of this. God literally leading them by day and by night. Pillar of fire, the cloud. They had all of this. They had everything. And then what did they ultimately do? They rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled and they rebelled over and over and over and over again because I don't care how great the external laws are, I don't care how wonderful leadership you put in place, it cannot change the depravity of the human heart. The only thing that speaks to the depravity of the human heart is the gospel of Christ. It is scripture, it is discipleship, it is the work of The church, it you will not fix the culture. All of these other attempts, you may get a temporary victory, but the rebellion of the heart will rise up, throw off your victory, throw off the bondage, the chains you've placed them in, and will rise up to get what they ultimately want. My thing is, is that the church thinks the way to fix the culture is through marrying ourselves with political entities in order to pass laws and rules to get to impose somewhat of a Christian worldview upon a lost and unregenerate people. That's not how you do so. It's like Christians said, man, the world's getting really, really bad. We got to go fix this. And their solution was Donald Trump. Their solution were Republicans. Didn't change hearts. Didn't change hearts. You can pass all the laws you want in regards to LGBTQ, and you can try to impose all the morality you want. It's not going to change the hearts, not even going to change the behavior. Just the behavior may have to be more hidden. And some people say, well, that's what I want. No, what you should want is their conversion, not simply to make them hide. So I I just think that there's
1: a lot of issues that take place here, but let's continue. Thanks. When is it compromised that we can't can't do? What kind of perspective do we need to have? What lens do we need to filter these things through so that we can discern how we engage?
2: Well, to me, the key to this is simply this. When compromise becomes worship, then you have gone way too far. And by worship, I don't just mean worshiping some deity, but I'm talking about the worship of following a wolf, because you decide that the end justifies the means. And what has been so appalling to me over these last 10 years or less has been the unbelievable willingness of of Christians to absolutely be like blind sheep. Now, Donald Trump is a product of Hollywood. He would not exist without Hollywood. You know, and, and when you think about it in those terms, here are Christians across the United States who would say, we can't stand Hollywood. We hate what they do they take someone who has absolutely had all of his major success from that industry my industry mm-hmm. you know i know that industry very very well i know wealthy people very very well powerful people i've never met him i've met men just like him in fact i worked for one so you know when i say that i understand that these these people are absolutely they're narcissists but they are psychopaths in their own way. Now you know, when you think about that, that means they'll do whatever they want to do. They don't care about anything except getting from you what they want. If they mm-hmm. stop getting that, then they turn on you and it becomes a wolf attack. So, you know, I, I think of that, about it right now, and I say, you know, there are Christians today who have come to worship what they consider to be America this idea that America is somehow the city on a hill, that this nation is absolutely, should be a Christian nation. You know, um, Michael Flynn made that statement not too long ago. He thinks everything, this ought to be just a totally Christian nation. There is the total marriage of politics and Christianity, which means the end of Christianity as we know it. This kind of syncretism has taken place over many centuries.
0: I want you to hear that. He even acknowledges and I and I completely agree. It's the end of Christianity as we know it when we merge these ideas together. When we bring these ideas together and it's the ends the the ends justify the means. So so if 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 our, if our end is we think our end is right, we think our then we don't care about the means. But that's not the biblical model. First, they want a, the wrong end, which is basically forcing a Christian nation upon an unregenerate people, and then they want the means is through political alliance. They got the wrong end. They got the wrong means. The end should be glorify God, preach the gospel, see as many people come to faith as possible, right, that will occur, I'm not not denying the sovereignty of God here, but just stating it this way, Pre- preach the gospel, as many people as possible will be saved, and then disciple them. The, that's the end desire is salvation and discipleship, and the means is through the preaching and teaching of God's word. That should be the end and the means. And what, what everyone wants is to fix everything wrong in culture by aligning itself with politics. And by, as a result, you ultimately, it's the end of Christianity as we know it. And I think we are witnessing the end of Christianity as we know it. And I don't know what it's going to look like going forward. If the left and the right, write biblical Christianity out of existence. And when I say out of existence, obviously biblical Christianity will always exist, but biblical Christianity will be written out of existence as far as a large portion of the, the church. The corporate church is going to turn into something other than it's not and there's going to be a lot of Christians going what I, I got a, I got a message today from someone talking about all of the things that had happened in their church and just just some of the crazy you know pol- pol- politi- politicizing of, of Christianity and they don't know where to go they don't know what to do and I don't and I, I can count email and, and what's interesting is almost all the emails I receive are from people who go to churches who are being politically hijacked from the right I don't receive emails from people who's in a church that's being po- uh, hijacked from the left I'm here seeing it all from the right now I'm not saying it doesn't happen on the left but I think in typically the churches that are hijacked from from the left those churches were already theologically corrupt anyway so it, it's not about the po- politics there it's about their, the liberal theology that was in place but there are people who go, go to good churches. If they sent me their doctrinal statement, they could say, is there anything wrong with this? And I'd be like, no, your doctrinal statement's great. Well, can you listen to this sermon? And i listen to the sermon. I'm like, run for your life. That is crazy, conspiratorial, you know, conservative politics, Fox News, I don't know, Alex Jones. I don't know what's going on in your church. Run for your life. It's the end of Christianity as we know it. You cannot bring the two together. The syncretism doesn't work. You can't synchronize two complete. One is a fleshly, worldly, world kingdom ideology versus Christianity, which is a biblical, spiritual, my kingdom is not of this world ideology. Two, completely, the Christianity says we are citizens in heaven. We're pilgrims and strangers here. This is not... This we are not of this world. Politics are like, you know, America patriotism. Make America great again. Establish this. We're gonna. It, it's trying to establish that kingdom. It's looking for political earthly power and political earthly success. It's completely. I mean, the two are so diametrically opposed that I don't know how any, when I have these arguments with Christians, I'm just like, what has happened to your thinking? Whether thinking has been so corrupted by the little leaven of politics and this earthly perspective. All right, let's see how far we can go. We're almost out of time. You
2: can see the history of it going back all the way to Constantine. You can see it among the Puritans of New England. You can see all of these attempts that have been made to, make this into something that it will not be because it, the, the message of Jesus, his love, his sacrifice on the cross, the commission that he gave to his church to go into all the world and preach the gospel does not fit with establishing a Christian nation in this world ever. It doesn't work.
1: Well, and it does seem like we've forgotten that we're of a different kingdom. We are not of this world. There is the kingdom of heaven, and then there's the kingdom of this world. And so when I hear people saying that we're out to save America and we're, we're using political means to save it, and I'm not saying that we can't engage politically, but, it, but when I hear these statements or when I hear this dichotomy that if you're not for us, you're against us, I've been struggling with trying to understand how my brothers and sisters— who we supposedly believe the same things and yet have adopted such different methods. It has been stunning to me to see that. And for me, I come from an Anabaptist background, which a lot of people don't know what that means. But basically, we were the first ones in Switzerland who started doing believers' baptism because we thought that confession of faith and baptism should go together. But we also objected to the government being run, even though now it wasn't the Catholic government, it was a Protestant government, but it was run the same way. And it was, no, we should have freedom of convictions and we don't want the government impacting our, religious, our religion, our church. And I've heard Christians, and it's interesting because to me it's the same group, who have said, yes, the church should be impacting politics, but politics and the government shouldn't be impacting the church. Coleman, you've been watching this for the past 40 years years what have you seen is the church impacting politics and government or is politics and government impacting the church?
2: Oh I think the latter absolutely you know and and I think that I've always believed that there is a place for believers in Jesus who are truly following him to serve him in government, yes, in Hollywood too, in every place that's legitimate for a Christian to be but not to try to turn everything and take control of everything. It is this issue of control and saying, you know, we're, we're gonna make it our own. You know, I look at it and I've been doing a lot of study about the Puritans in the 1600s, what happened to them and what led them to the Salem witch trials. In 1660, there was a wonderful woman who lived outside of Boston. She had been a Puritan but she had decided that she wasn't going to be a Puritan anymore, she became a Quaker. But she felt that there was a call of God upon her life to go back into Boston and teach the Puritans what she believed God was telling her to teach them. This is a woman who had unbelievable courage. She went back in over and over, and every time she would go in, they would warn her, you don't come back here again, you're breaking our laws and all the rest." She just kept doing it. Finally, on June 1 of 1660, they had tried her, they convicted her, and they hanged her on Boston Commons along with three other, Puritan, uh, three other Quakers who were all martyrs. Her name was Mary Barrett Dyer. She is my ninth great-grandmother. Hmm. I'm very proud to be a direct descendant of Mary's. But that's what, these things don't, they don't stop. There's a progression that is going on here. It's not enough simply to say, we're going to take control. Then we're going to take control of everybody inside. We're going to make them believe exactly what we want them to believe. And if they don't, they will be desperately punished. This spectrum, this continuum that goes on is in the entire history of the church when it has taken control of government. I don't care where it was done. There is a disaster. And you know we're at a certain stage now. God forbid that We get back with Donald Trump and the the people who are following him to get back into power again. Then we've got a real problem on our hands.
0: Okay. Powerful story there. Now we're going to stop at the 20 minute, 50 second mark, 20 minutes, 50 second mark. We we will probably come back and and listen to some more of this, some powerful thinking here, but let me just make this very, this is one of the issues I've had with Christianity my entire life. All right. And I've fi- constantly find myself in conflict, and Christians get mad at me when Christians are like, no, the public school should be having a public led prayer. Wait, wait, wh- whose prayer? Whose prayer? How about the Muslim? No, 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 it should be a Christian prayer. Well, so you're going to force a Christian prayer upon the students? What? Wh- why? Why? Well, the Bible should be taught in school, and and they and they go through all of these things that they want to occur, and it's like, so you're trying to establish a Christian rule upon people but whose christianity whose christianity you may win your battle temporarily but sooner or later the battle you win is going to be used against you when someone of a different faith a different persuasion comes along a different theological then they will then remove you or silence you it's 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 the never ending problem of, of of church history you see this over and over and over this group comes into power boom they punish everyone who differs from them theologically they lose power then the other theological group punishes them and it's death it's chaos it's destruction and it's all trying to build kingdoms in this world the church as a entity has enough problems with division and fighting amongst ourselves who what gives us the right to then try to impose what we think upon society when we can't even govern the church very good without church split after church split, after church split, denomination after denomination. We can't even agree amongst ourselves, but we're going to force some kind of supposed Christian worldview upon an unregenerate world and then do what? Punish them if they don't go along with it? No, I want, I want freedom as much as humanly possible. Now, I, obviously, I believe there has to be laws, and I do understand that all laws, in some way, shape, or form, have a level of morality to them. Obviously, there's a moral aspect to them, but but we can we can try to argue why it's good to have this law or that law for the betterment of society. But I don't want to necessarily impose a religious concept upon unregenerate hearts because what they need more than they need the gospel the gospel, then they they are taught the morality. You preach the gospel, then you teach the morality. We want to impose the morality before we ever preach the gospel or almost in place of the gospel so that we can have a country that is make America great again. And we're a Christian nation. You're a Christian nation based off a level of morality that you think equals Christianity. But Christianity is not about a system of morality it's about following Jesus Christ, which does lead to a different way of living. Yes, it should, but it's not about a morality. It's about a faith in Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. And we want to impose a system of morality and then call it Christianity. No, that just is, you're just forcing a, love, a bunch of rules on people who have an unregenerate heart. It's like Christians today have completely forgot the doctrine of total depravity and it's more about we see people now as a political enemy that we need to defeat than a person that needs to be that needs to be evangelized we see now people as political enemies who we must defeat their ideology not as sinners who need the gospel we don't see people as sinners we see them as political enemies and we must defeat their ideological perspective whether it's Critical race theory, uh, it doesn't matter, uh LGBTQ, transgender, whatever the case may be, we've got to destroy them. They are the enemy. And we and then we borrow the whole it's a war, it's a war, it's a war. The the Fox News loves, you know, it's a war on this, it's a war on that. And we get into this battle mindset, not a spiritual one, but a political earthly one where we want to defeat our enemies. We call them names. Use derogatory words to describe them, whether it's AOC, Pelosi, Biden, mock, make fun. Just act completely unbiblical, completely ungodly. And instead of seeing them as people to need to be evangelized, it's people that need to be defeated and silenced. That is the, the, the corruption of Christianity. It's, it's, it's what has happened. And, and, and I, I agree that there, there's been issues throughout all of church history. I think that in many cases, even though some of those not those things were happening in the past, I still believe if you listen to their preaching and read the preaching of the Puritans, you still see it more theological and biblical than it was political, even though there was clearly a political aspect going on. All right. And then he mentioned the Salem witch trials, which if you ever are in Boston, just stop what you're doing, stop looking at what's going on in Boston, go to Salem. And you can go to the Salem Witch, Tri- uh, Witch Museum and you can uh, learn about the Salem Witch Trials. And there's lots of things going on there about that. And it's a, it's a great, beautiful place to visit. I loved my visit to Salem. I, I, I want to go back and just spend like hours and hours there because the Salem Witch Trials to me are fascinating because it, it's group it, paranoia, lies, gossip, bearing false witness almost a conspiratorial thinking that swept through these people that led to craziness. And, I, and it wasn't anywhere near as bad as, say, what was happening in Europe during the witch trials in Europe. But those things are just frightening to me that, that professing Christians can buy into a way of thinking that is so contrary to the very Bible that they claim to believe in and claim to preach. And it's like, what has happened? And we saw that in Cornerstone Church, San Antonio, with the Let's Go Brandon chants and all of the, the fallout from that. And just, and not forget the Let's Go Brandon chants, all the other crazy nonsense that was being preached in that church, uh, with that Reclaiming America conference and just all the craziness that's happened and yelling and screaming about, you know, the craziness about the pandemic and, and mask and everything else. It's just, it's, it's been frightening to watch, but. We'll have to stop there because we're out of time. We're out of time. So, twenty minutes, fifty seconds. That's where I'm stopping. If you want to pick up from where I I stopped, you can uh, again go to Roy's Report, go to the podcast section. It's the most. Uh, it's the newest uh, episode. Or you can just subscribe to the Roy's Report podcast um, wherever you get your podcast. Definitely listen to it. And it's something I would just you know subscribe to. They don't put out a lot of episodes. They don't do you know like a thousand episodes like I do. <laughs> a year. Okay. They don't, they don't do 15 hours of live broadcasting a day, but uh, whenever something shows up in your feed, I think you'll be, uh, I think you will benefit greatly from it. Even if you don't always agree with all of their perspective, I think you will agree. I I wish I would have gotten a little bit more further into it, but they brought up a lot of issues. And then hopefully my additional commentary, um, was helpful as well. All right, we'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. You can email me all of your disagreements to newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I will offer this word of advice. If you're well over there in the right conservative, politically kind of minded individual, if you email me to try to prove me wrong or to try to argue with me, but you act in the most unbiblical, unchristlike way, Calling me names, threatening me, <laughs> threatening what all of just craziness that I've witnessed in these emails. I want you to just understand this. All you're doing is proving that you've been so corrupted that you can't even act in a biblical and Christ like way. That should tell you something. When your attitude and your actions are so not Christ like, That probably tells you something has gone horribly wrong. So when I get those emails, I have to laugh because I'm like, you've just literally proved my entire point. Something to think about while you're sitting there already typing out your email. But go ahead and finish it, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, because whatever we may agree about politics, whether we agree or disagree, we should all agree that we're called to be Christ-like and to follow the scriptures, not the cultural trends of your favorite political party. All right, everyone have a great day. God bless.